Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity, the leadership series. Today, we meet with Omkar to hear his insights of leadership over the years. And Omkar, would you mind just quickly introducing yourself? Sure. My name is Omkar and I'm a director of engineering at Google. Throughout my history, I've worked at a number of large organizations and certainly in, I'll say, towards the second half of my career. First half of my career, I was an IC, uh, an individual contributor. But in the second half of my career, I led, I've led teams, led organizations, and I lead a awesome team of engineers at Google today. And why did you decide to become a cybersecurity leader versus staying an individual contributor? A couple of reasons. Most of my career, I've tended to lean technical. And even in non-technical roles, the, I guess the benefit that I brought to the table was a technical perspective. And there were two things that always interested me about the technical side of things. One, how a well-designed system can be a force multiplier in that if you design a system, it's really a method of amplifying the amount of good that you can contribute into a particular area. And the second is what I call failing safely. A well-designed system will fail safely. So to use an example of that, if you design your app, it will degrade gracefully and predictably rather than core dumping and falling over in a manner anticipated. And I apply the same two kind of principles to people. So obviously if you, as a leader, hire and coach, and build the correct team that can be an incredible force multiplier more so than anything you could do on your own and then also creating an environment for growth so in a people sense allowing people to fail safely there have been numerous times in my career that i've made that called the foot gun mistake shooting yourself in the foot and throughout that i learned invaluable lessons not the least of which is not to make those mistakes again but i really get a sense of pride out of seeing somebody that has grown through an experience like that and knowing that I created an environment that allows them to thrive in that way. You reflect upon your comfort level during your growth. How do you rate yourself on delegation from one to five? And I'm going to assume that five, five is high. Yes. Okay. So I give myself a five and reason being when I began my career as a manager, I frequently found myself doing the same things as my team rather than doing the things my team could. And I think that's a very good thing. And one of those lessons that I learned as a leader, thanks to those that created the space for me to learn above me. If you end up doing all the same things as your team, then you're not really operating at a level where you're leading your team. And that's not to say that you shouldn't be familiar with the details and that you shouldn't be familiar with the subject matter. Quite the contrary. You should know enough about the subject matter that you're aware of where to lean in and that you're aware of where to step back. The other thing that you'll get, especially with larger teams, like usually if you start scaling above five or 10 people, it becomes impossible not to delegate because you as a single person just can't scale to be everywhere at once. But if you're hiring the right people and you're only in the business executing, your team can find it quite disempowering and you're not giving them an opportunity to serve the mission that they should be serving. There's the two most important things that we can do as leaders is hire the absolute best people that we can for the role and then set up the structure and the department so that they can succeed without a need of you constantly blocking and tackling because again, you've hired the right person for the role 
and the role is structured in such a way for them to be successful in the mission. And potentially on the opposite end of delegation, how do you rate yourself on collaboration on a scale of one to five and why? I actually think, I actually think that they're more convergent than divergent. So it's interesting that you frame it in that way. Out of necessity and probably at Google more pronounced than anywhere else, Google is an organization that is extremely bottoms up and it's grown up that way. And as a result of that, the ability to collaborate with your peers and to be able to lead through influence rather than by management structure is key. Even when I was in other organizations, such as during my career in financial sector, or even my early days at IBM, the real, the real unlock, if you will, the real step up to the next level was always being able to collaborate regularly with both your peers laterally as well as their superiors above. And the reason being, especially in security, so much of what we do involves securing another platform or securing another service or providing guidance or advisory or whatever it might be. By definition, none of those things can exist on their own. Further, I've had the privilege of working in very large organizations. The smallest company I worked at was probably about 70,000 people. And the largest was about 450. If you just operate in your own little enclave or silo, you just wouldn't get things done at any reasonable scale in an organization that size. I'm thinking of those size of organizations. How do you rate yourself on your ability to communicate on a scale from one to five and why? I'd, uh, I'll be a bit self-deprecating here. I feel like I'm probably three and a half. I think communication, especially as we grow to more senior and senior levels in the organization is so important. And the further you go up, the more your voice carries. And as a coworker used to tell me, the longer shadow you cast. So it's super important that when you communicate crisply, it's well understood because that echo, that shadow is going to carry. And if it's something which you communicate in either a confusing manner or you communicate in such way that people don't understand or even worse, a slip of the tongue in such manner that what you intended to communicate is perceived in the opposite way. These things become a larger and larger issue as you go from 10 to 25 to 50 to 100 to 200 people or more in your organization. So communication is super important. And for those that are involved in client-facing roles as well, the reason, there's a reason that your client comes to you and it's not because they owe you something. It's because they're seeking your guidance. You should be able to do so in a manner that's not going to make them feel bad for coming to you, as well as convey the gravity of what they've come to you to convey. And then lastly, when you think about mentorship as well as true leadership, you should communicate in a way that is welcoming. People shouldn't feel intimidated by sitting down with you. And again, just the natural hierarchy of a large organization will frequently lead to this perception that those that are well above those that might be in more junior roles, that those that are well above may be untouchable or unattainable, or you can't speak to them. I always strive to create an environment where I can communicate in a way that's casual yet informing and still leverage leadership as it's required. And you mentioned when you're operating at scale that you needed to be able to communicate with those at your level as well as those above how important would you consider influence in those areas and why i think influence and collaboration go hand in hand so your ability to influence somebody 
is only a result of big collaboration. And influence happens to be, in my mind, and everyone has their own de definition, but influence in my mind is a combination of collaboration and direction. It's mathematically, it's a vector. It's a direction and a magnitude. And the reason that's important is it should always be in the back of your head that in order to lead somebody by influence, it's got to be purely out of respect. And you also have to lead the path by showing them what's in it for them. And people can be fickle. People can be altruistic. You have to get to know the person that you're collaborating with, that you're trying to assert that influence through to such a level that you understand how they're interacting with their organization, what motivates them and help show them the path to demonstrate that this is not just a good outcome or whatever it is you're believing in, whatever it is you're pushing for, but also that jointly it's a thing that they should perceive as des desirable as well, and that there's a win in it for them. And as you think about that win in them for them, how would you consider networking as a skill for your own career and why? Networking has been invaluable. In fact, my current role is as a result of me networking with now my, my former boss through an NYU cyber event a few years ago. I, there was one job I applied to in my life. That was my first job. And ever since then, it's been networking, connecting. Some of it was right place, right time. A lot of it was recruiters, but most of it has been through solid networking and being able to call up whomever it might be and say, Hey, I noticed that you're at this place, or I noticed that you're interested in a particular company or whatever the case is. And that's only a result of having networked in my past. Like networking to me is one of those things where you do it because it's the right place and the right group of people without expecting an immediate one or two degree return. And if you do it with that kind of mindset, then it all falls into place. And it may not be the next month or the next year, but eventually that connection that you fostered is, is going to be there either in a way that you need or even better in a way that you can be there for that connection. And the most, I think, I guess the best part of networking for me has always been those kind of completely coincidental things that come together way, way down the road that you didn't initially anticipate. But I think those are probably the most fruitful. Conversely, I find those that kind of intensely network for the sake of networking, expecting like an immediate outcome tomorrow, I can be pretty frustrating. The one counter that I'll provide is again, depending on the size of your organization, your efficacy at networking within your organization. So I do try my best to network with my peers and colleagues where I work because we're such a big organization that there's something that you just miss in video calls or in 30 minute or one hour meetings that you can really get to know that person, build trust and rapport that can help you jointly solve your mission in the future. Someone looking at this recording in the future and they want to become a cybersecurity leader, what advice would you give them? Ooh, that's a heavy one. Firstly, if you're looking at this in the future, I cut my own hair yesterday, so I hope it looks okay. But in all seriousness, I, in my career, I started off as a software engineer and then a penetration tester. My first roles in security were breaking into other systems. And I had a great time doing that. And gradually over the now 19, 20 years that I've been in security, I've had an opportunity to do everything from speak with some of the largest financial sector regulators, 
to government cybersecurity departments, to leading governance, risk, and compliance organizations, and to doing engineering. There's a wide variety of things that you can do in cybersecurity. Be true to what you want to be in cybersecurity versus what the people beside you tell you. And what I mean by that is throughout this kind of meandering journey that I took in security, there was a large part of it where I was just naturally drifting into the assumption that the ultimate goal of any security professional is to be a C. And then I realized that wasn't something that I tried it. Like it wasn't something that I discounted without giving it a shot or without doing certain tasks that were very close or adjacent to the role. But I realized the things that I'd have to do as a CISO weren't things that brought me joy. I love building software. I love doing really innovative things when it comes to technology. I like being the first person to do a new thing at a scale that's never been done before. And once I realized that and realized what truly motivated me and then aligned that with where and how I could do that in cyber, then it all really fell together for me. So if what brings you joy, and some of this varies depending on where you are in life, how old you are, whether you've got kids, whether you're single, it all comes into play. Just be attuned to what you enjoy doing and roll into it. There's no reason to fight it. Do what you're best at, and then your passion will come out and you'll truly excel in whatever aspect of security you decide to pat with deep. Thank you so much, Ankar, for sharing that. Really do appreciate your insights. And thank you for taking the time for us today. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.